The following presentation was produced by the Buddhist Society of Victoria. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, so uh, let us continue uh, with the suttas. Uh, and uh, uh, we have been looking at the uh, 37 Bodhipakya Dhammas, the 37 aids to awakening, the seven sets of factors. Uh, and so far we looked at the four right efforts, uh, and now we are in the middle of looking at the four satipatthanas, the four um, meditation, mindfulness meditations. Uh, and uh, uh, one way of thinking about the four satipatthanas uh, is to think about them as the anapanasati, uh, the mindfulness of breathing, uh, which really fulfills these ones. So I'm going to look now in more detail uh, on the anapanasati Sutta, the Mindfulness of Breathing Sutta. And uh, we have started already. Uh, we have looked at the preliminary things that you have to put in place. Uh, and uh, now we're going to look at the actual practice itself, what we have to do. Uh, and one of the questions people were asking yesterday, and I think it's a, it's a kind of a good question, is uh, uh, what do you do in the meantime to give rise to mindfulness? Because sometimes uh, you sit there and the mind is kind of all over the place. Uh, so what can you do to make the mind um, uh, more still and to get it ready for meditation practice proper? Uh, and uh, very sometimes all you have to do is just to relax and sit back and it works well. Uh, at other times the mind just keeps on wandering forever, it seems. Uh, and uh, if you are very patient, you can, you can accept that, you can do it, you can just allow it to wander uh, and eventually it tends to settle down. Uh, but another way of dealing with this is to do some uh, body uh, scanning, uh, scanning your body, feeling all the various parts of the body, uh, sometimes starting from one end, the top of the head, uh, going down to the soles of your feet, uh, and just feeling the body all the way through. Uh, and then uh, feeling as much as you can of the body, and if you feel that there is any tension anywhere, there is pain or there is kind of some problem or something, uh, then you can focus with a bit of kindness uh, and a bit of uh, goodwill on that area to just have a sense of metta towards yourself. Uh, and uh, this has a double benefit. It has the benefit of uh, having something to focus on, so your mind is not all over the place. Uh, it has the benefit of helping you to relax yeah, as you do this. Uh, and also it has the idea of developing kindness to yourself, a bit of metta towards yourself at the same time. So you got three things uh, into one. Uh. So just gradually move through the body and then uh, feel the various parts of it, starting from one and going to the other one. Uh, and do that with a sense of kindness and care towards yourself. Uh. And then when you come out uh, you know, at the top of the body, you feel hopefully a bit better than when you started at the, at the bottom. Uh, and you can do that a few times. Uh. So try uh, uh, little things like that. Uh, but uh, a lot of the problem initially is just to be patient, just to enjoy, uh, not to kind of do too much at all, but just allow things to settle down. Uh, that is often the hardest part, is to be patient, because we're not really so used to that. We want to have things done quickly. Uh, yeah, we want the meditation to work. Why isn't it working? I want it to work. <laughs> That's part of the problem sometimes. And it's natural. Yeah, it is kind of just this part of uh, our human nature to want results. Uh, so uh, nothing to be too worried about. Uh. Anyway, so now we have come to the uh, continue the mindfulness of breathing. Uh, and as I was saying yesterday, you have this idea of establishing mindfulness in front of you. 
So establishing mindfulness before we do the mindfulness of breathing. And uh, one of the things here that I didn't mention yesterday is this idea of in front of you. What does that mean? Uh, this is a parimukha in Pali language, and it's one of those terms that is often debated uh, in Buddhist circles. Uh, the longer you have been around Buddhist circles, the more you know the kind of standard debating topics that everyone is always debating, and there is never a conclusion. They have probably been debated for two and a half thousand years, and we're still debating them. And of course, uh, the, the, the reality is that there often is no final say on these things. If there was a final say, we have discovered that long time ago. So the question then is, how do you deal with these things if there isn't any final say? And I will just discuss that in a minute. There's a few things, there's always a few things like that in the suttas that are endlessly debated. And then you have to have a means for deciding what to do in that kind of situation. So with parimukha, some people say, and that it just means something like in front of you. So it just means like awareness in this space at this time. Yeah, just like here, like in, in front of your face somewhere. Uh, so it just means a present moment awareness really in this particular space, not kind of somewhere else. So it is a very, uh, it doesn't, doesn't really have any very precise meaning. It just means mindfulness really. And mindfulness directed to uh, the here and now, and your breath in particular, because the breath is itself not very clearly defined necessarily exactly where it is. Uh, the breath can be anywhere in the physical body, uh, and the way that Ajahn Brahma teaches, which I have always followed, which I thought was very nice, uh, is not actually to locate the breath anywhere at all, uh, but just to know: Am I breathing in? Am I breathing out? Uh, yeah, and you don't really need to locate that on the body uh, if you breathe. Uh, you know it's in and you know it's out. Yeah, It doesn't matter where it is, it's somewhere. It's, you just know that the breath is going in and out. And that is enough. It doesn't have to refer to any particular part of the body. After all, it is breath meditation. It is not really a, a kind of a physical body meditation as such. And uh, I think that is nice because uh, especially when you start out with your meditation uh, you don't want to be too focused uh, on and one particular area you want to have a bit of leeway uh, so you have a bit of scope a bit of breadth uh, uh, and you're not too focused because the focus really comes later on when you become more narrowly focused on what you're doing here uh. so allow yourself that room uh, it is more relaxing uh, more at ease if you do it that way uh. Uh, but there are many other uh, you know, meditation teachers who will tell you different things. For example, it's very common to say that you should fix your attention on the tip of your nose or your upper lip in this particular area. And the reason why that is a very common way of doing it is because that's what the commentaries say. Yeah, We are commentarial Buddhists. Most people are commentarial Buddhists. We follow the commentaries. And it is natural because the commentaries, obviously, they have a lot of authority because this is the ancient... Uh, teachers uh, going back all the way to the time of the Buddha. So often they will, most of the time, they will have a very good point. And uh, it is nothing wrong with focusing in this particular area. If you can feel the breath there and that is natural for you, it is fine. Of course you can do that. Uh, but it doesn't have to be like that. That is really my point. Uh, and uh, for some people, it is too tight. The focus is too narrow. Uh, and it actually can uh, increase tensions and increase discomfort uh, if you focus so narrowly. Uh. So I prefer the Ajahn Brahm technique. Uh, and I think the word parimukkang, the way it has been kind of dissected by 
uh, scholars uh, in the suttas and compare it to the Chinese translations and the uh, Tibetan and whatever, uh, I think it is a good argument can be made that it does not mean uh, uh, the tip of the nose. It actually means a more open kind of awareness. Uh, and then you have in the uh, Mahasi tradition, they talk about watching the breath in the abdomen. You look at the rise and fall of the abdomen. Uh, and I think there's even less uh, grounds for arguing that from a uh, sutta perspective. But again, it doesn't matter because it is the movement of the breath. Yeah, So that too is okay if you prefer to do that. Uh, these are the various kind of possibilities. But the main point is that your meditation is progressing, that you're having success, you're becoming more peaceful, you have the ability to be aware of the breath. That is what matters. If you can do that, all of these things are really secondary. Yeah, exactly where you look at it. So don't need to worry too much about that. Do whatever works for you. And if it doesn't work, then you may have good grounds for trying something slightly different. Uh, so what matters in the end on the Buddhist path is whether it works or not. Yeah, That is actually what matters. Uh, and uh, it is all uh, comes down to whether something is right. Nothing is right as such. It is right only because it gives the right kind of results. Uh, that is the definition of rightness uh, on the Buddhist path. Uh, and sometimes you may be confused. Is it really giving results? Yeah, because that is another thing that sometimes people don't. Oh, I've been meditating for so long. You know, <laughs> am I? Is it giving results or not? And uh, very often it has got nothing to do with the mechanics of meditation practice. Whether you're watching the breath here, whether you're watching the breath there, uh, whether you're doing it in the right way, often it's got nothing to do with that. Uh, Often what it has to do with is the fact that you are not having integrated the spiritual practice enough in your life overall. That is often the reason. Yeah, You need to kind of integrate it more. You need to kind of make every part of your life into the spiritual practice because the path is a very integrated path. It has all these elements and unless you make it a complete thing, it is not going to have the desired effect in the long run. That is usually the problem. So you have to be honest with yourself, brutally honest, as they say, and look at your kind of the things where you can improve in your life. What can you do better? And very often you will find things like thinking is one of the big problems. Am I uh, developing the way I think about other people uh, is actually a very important part of this. Uh, you need to recalibrate how you perceive people, how you look at them. Uh, remember the traffic light people, yeah, the red light people. Uh, yeah, And then uh, uh, that, that sort of stuff uh, is how to deal with these things. Uh. And then usually progress comes. Uh, uh, but even then, progress is not going to be absolutely even. It's going to be a bit up and down, yeah. Sometimes the, the general trend should be upwards, uh, but uh, you know, within that trend, there's going to be up and down. That's just the nature of the mind. Uh, the times when the mind is in a better space, or the times it is not so, uh, it is more difficult to deal with. Uh. Anyway, that is parimukkang, uh, and um, don't worry too much about that uh, because uh, I don't think it is worth uh, too much uh, discussion, but. Uh, then what happens? And this is when uh, the meditation happens. So having established mindfulness in front of you, ever mindful, you breathe in. Mindful, you breathe out. And uh, so once mindfulness is there, that is when you start the breath practice. And here you have this uh, little phrase, ever mindful, you breathe in. And uh, the... Um, 
I think this is another case of a slightly unfortunate translation. It should really be just mindful, you breathe in, mindful, you breathe out. What is the difference? And the difference is that if you are ever mindful, it means you are always mindful. It means that you have a very strong mindfulness. Yes, but we are just starting out the breath meditation. And of course, when you start out, your mindfulness is not going to be that strong yet. It's going to be still going to be fairly weak. It's going to be enough to do the meditation practice. But as the breath meditation proceeds, the more powerful that mindfulness will will become. You start to see more and more of your breath. You start to be more and more aware of the things that are going around you. You pick up more and more of what is happening. And this is one of the reasons why um, you need to do uh, attain some sort of deep samadhi experience uh, to strengthen the mindfulness to the maximum uh, than to enable you to see things according to reality. The more you see, uh, the more details you can pick up, uh, and the more clarity you have in the mind, the more ability you have to have insight. Uh, so that's why you want to strengthen the mindfulness to the maximum. Uh, but at this point, it is not really always mindful yet. At this point, the mindfulness is still a bit blurry, not so strong. So ever is really misleading, but just is actually the right translation there. The Pali word is eva, and this word eva has different uh, meanings depending on the context, Uh, but the most common meaning is actually just and not always. So just is really the right one, right translation there. And just mindful, what does that mean? Well, it means that you are just mindful. You are just aware. You don't do anything. There's nothing that needs to be done. All you have to do is just to be aware. And then the rest of the practice happens pretty much automatically. And this ties in with what I was saying before. This idea that in the meditation practice there is no, there is na chetanaya karaniya. There's no uh, this cannot be done by an act of will. Chaitana is will and intention. Yeah, Not to be done by an act of will. It ties in directly with that. Uh, you are just mindful. Uh, all you need to do is establish mindfulness. Uh, and once that is done, uh, it is pretty much automatic. Uh, it is not entirely automatic. Uh, sometimes you need to nudge the mind a little bit. Uh, but it's far more automatic than you would expect. Uh, tend to do far too much in our meditation practice, uh, pushing, because we are so used to doing that, uh, pushing our mind around. Uh, uh, so here, this really should be a, an exercise in just being mindful. Uh. So mindful, you breathe in. Mindful, you breathe out. So uh, there is no force required in this. And then uh, what happens then is that breathing in long, you understand, I breathe in long. Or breathing out long, you understand, I breathe out long. Breathing in short, you understand, I breathe in short. Or breathing out short, you understand, I breathe out short. So here it is just that you are aware of the quality of the breath, yeah, short and long. Uh, And uh, uh, so it is. You have enough mindfulness to be aware of what is happening with the breath. Every breath, you know what is happening. Yeah? So you understand this. Uh, yeah, It is a natural uh, consequence of having mindfulness that you understand what is happening with the breath. Uh, and here you have the idea of long breath first. Uh, yeah, So if you are already quite relaxed, the breath is at ease. Often it is quite uh, long and easy. Uh, 
But then as the meditation deepens, then what is a, it's quite a common experience that then the breath becomes a bit shorter as you relax even more. So this is a, perhaps here, the idea here, it could also be that it is a simply explaining different types of breath. But uh, quite possibly there is a, a progression here from the breath being long and as you relax even more, the breath becomes a little bit shorter again. Uh, yeah, So you move on. Uh. And then, once that is established, and the next one is, you train thus. I shall breathe in experiencing the whole body of the breath. You train thus. I shall breathe out experiencing the whole body of the breath. So here, now we move from understanding to training. Why is that the case? Why does it start with understands? First of all, you understand, and now you train. What does it mean to train? Does that mean you have to start using some willpower, perhaps? And uh, uh, not really, because the meditation is uh, supposed to be automatic, and that seems to be the general um, explanation found throughout the sutta. So what it means here is that uh, when to to See, the whole breath takes a bit of time. It, you have to allow that mindfulness to develop a little bit. It is not automatic. It is not straight away you sit down. You are able to see the long breath and the short breath, but you're not yet able to see the whole breath. Yeah, That takes a bit of time. So the training here just means that you have to give yourself time for this to happen. That is really the purpose of this. So you just have to wait. And as you wait, and you are aware of the long breath and the short breath, and if you are able to just sit back and relax, not do anything, the mindfulness expands. And you take in more and more of the breath as you do that. It becomes more clear. Clarity arises slowly. Now, the, your ability for clarity to arise in this way will depend on all the other factors of the path that you have developed. Sometimes you come to a plateau, everything stops. Yeah, you th you're hoping that your mind will clear up and things will uh, work out, and then it, they don't. And the reason for that is because the other factors haven't been developed enough and enough yet. You haven't got enough, you know, meta or whatever it is, and these other factors have to also come in to support the breath meditation. Uh, it is not these things don't happen just uh, like that. They they need the whole path to kind of. Uh, for, for this to actually work out. Uh, but if you are ready, then this is what will happen. Things will calm down. Uh, you see more of the breath. Uh, you're, uh, you're, you expand kind of your awareness uh, and you become more refined and more detailed and you see what is happening here. Now the meaning of this is a bit uh, interesting here because you will notice that it says experience in the whole body and it has of the breath in parentheses. Yeah, why is of the breath in parentheses? That's always a bit worrying, isn't it, when it's in parentheses? You wonder, what does that mean? Well, you know, does that mean that the Buddha said it, or did he not say it? What did actually the Buddha say? What is, what, <laughs> and of course, when things are parenthetical like that, it means that they have been added to the text. They're not actually in the text. What the text says, it says, Sabbakaya Patisangvedi, which actually literally means experiencing the whole body. And uh, of the breath is taken from the commentary. It is put in there to make it more understandable what is happening here. And uh, to uh, this is another area. I was saying that there are all these areas that are kind of controversial that people debate endlessly. Uh, yeah, and uh, this is one of those areas that is debated endlessly. What does this actually mean? Uh, and uh, in many traditions, they 
consider the meaning of this to be literally the whole body. If you go to the Gwenka technique, they will tell you this means, it says in the Sutta, the whole body. So that's what we practice in Gwenka. In other words, say equally, adamantly. No, it means the whole body of the breath. So, uh, uh, to again, it doesn't matter so much. If you make progress, and if you then move on to the next stage, which is actually, the next one is then tranquilizing the breath that comes afterwards, as long as you're able to follow the progress and the, 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 this process in roughly the right, in, you know, it, as, as long as you come back to the uh, process of calming the breath and moving on uh, in this particular way, as explained here, it doesn't matter if you, for a short while, go to the whole body or if you look at the whole breath. It is not so important as long as that process kind of continues. Yeah. So again, sometimes these arguments are really kind of uh, they are irrelevant as long as you are progressing in your meditation. Your mindfulness is becoming more powerful. But to me, just to kind of give my interpretation, I to me it is fairly. I, to me, it seems obvious that it must refer to the whole breath, yeah, not just the whole physical body, uh, because this is breath meditation. Uh, there seems to be no po- reason why you should move suddenly from the breath to the bo- whole physical body and then back to the breath again. Uh, so to me, it seems much far more uh, reasonable to consider this as uh, the breath. Uh, and uh, uh, the word kaya, which here is uh, translated as a body, uh, uh, actually has a very broad range of meanings in the Pali Suttas. Uh, it just means really a a grouping of things, yeah, like a, 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 a group of phenomena coming together. That's called the kaya. And uh, so that it doesn't actually have to mean the physical body. It can mean things like the breath. Uh, and later on in the same sutta, it says that the Breath is called one kaya, one body among bodies. It specifically says that. So to me, that is kind of the final nail in the coffin for the other the other theory. Yeah. <laughs> this is how you kind of argue things out. Yeah, okay, you hammer in that last nail and you say, okay, that's it. You have <laughs> your argument has been overturned. This is <laughs> so. Uh, so anyway, that's how I interpret it. That's how, and of course, that's how also how Ajahn Brahm interprets uh, it. Uh, I most of the time I tend to uh, agree with Ajahn Brahm on on these things. Uh, obviously, having been brainwashed by him for twenty five years, uh, that's what that's what happens. Uh, so you <laughs> end up seeing things in the same way. Yeah. So you. Um, uh, Again, you see the whole body of the breath, all the aspects. Your mindfulness is becoming more established and more powerful. And then we come to the last of these four uh, initial ones here, where he says, I shall, uh, you train thus, I shall breathe in, tranquilizing the bodily formation. You train thus, I shall breathe out, tranquilizing the bodily formation. And again, this is really obscure, you know, bodily formation, what on earth is going on here. And it's very hard to really understand this unless you have someone to kind of, unless you have read the suttas a lot and you have someone to kind of uh, guide you a little bit. But the word bodily formation, really, much better to translate as bodily activity. Uh, The Pali word is sankara, kaya sankara, and the word sankara is like an activity, yeah. It is like it comes from the verb karoti. Karoti means to do, same word as to to do in English. So it means activity. So and what is the bodily activity? Well, breath kind of makes good sense, yeah, because it is an activity of the body. The body is becoming quite tranquil now. All that is really left is the breath. So 
tranquilizing the bodily activity, in this case it makes good sense that it should mean tranquilizing the breath. And if you read the suttas, elsewhere, kaya sankara, bodily formation, or bodily activity is defined specifically as the breath. So we are on very good grounds for saying that this means the breath, and there is no argument about that in the Buddhist world that I'm aware of. Everyone agrees that this means the breath in this particular case. So you are on fairly safe grounds there. So as your attention expands and you see the whole breath, you continue just with your awareness, you don't do anything, you are still training, and as you stay with the breath, things start to calm down. Yeah, Things become more and more calm, more and more peaceful. And already at this point, if you can do this, and you are able to keep enough distance from the breath so you don't involve yourself too much, one of the problems with breath meditation is getting too involved with the breath. When you get involved, it means you control it. When you start controlling it, it becomes unpleasant. I'm sure you have noticed that sometimes the breath is not really pleasant to watch. It's kind of, a, you know, it's not nice. And the reason is because you haven't got enough distance to the breath. The breath should almost be like a completely separate thing. It's like you're observing something out of that proverbial train window again. It's just the world outside, something that is separate from you, something that you don't control at all. That sense of separation is ideally what you should have. And then things become tranquil. And then it starts to become very beautiful already when things become really peaceful and tranquil. The breath becomes very light. Sometimes it is as if the breath disappears, you can't really find it anymore. And if the breath disappears, you don't have to be afraid. Sometimes people think they're going to die, but you're not going to die because the body knows how to breathe by itself. Otherwise, you, you couldn't fall asleep. Yeah? If the body didn't know how to breathe by itself, then sleeping would be very scary. So you don't have to worry about that. All you have to do is just, okay, breath disappears, no worries. And you just stay with the present moment. You just keep your mindfulness, and then eventually the breath will reappear again, either because the breath gets more coarse, or because your mindfulness continues to develop. You just enjoy the peace that is there when the breath kind of disappears. So this is what you do. And, and n nothing of this, none of this is about using force. It is an automatic process. And whether it works or not again depends on all these other factors of how far you have developed the path in general. If it is well developed, then this will happen. Uh, because this is just the nature of, of things. Uh, now one of the th important points here is really to be just aware and not doing anything. Uh, the more you are just aware, the less you do, uh, the more this process will happen. If you try to force this to happen, uh, it's going to have the opposite effect. Uh, but just standing back and allowing it to happen is the most powerful thing. Uh, and um, uh, uh, so... What, what is going on here is that uh, as you are uh, watching the breath and just being aware of these things, uh, the ordinary things that obstruct us from uh, being, uh, being able to do this, uh, things like desire and ill will and all of that, uh, that tends to die down even more. Uh, already there should be very little desire and hindrances at this stage. Already it's becoming quite peaceful, but there will be some remnant of the hindrances still there. Uh, but as you keep focusing on the breath, uh, you are not feeding those hindrances. Uh, the hindrances only exist because they are fed by how we reflect and how we look at the world. But by watching the breath, you're no longer feeding the hindrances. And because of that, they tend to die down. 
for you to be able to have desire, to desire anything, you have to reflect on the object of desire. You have to look at it as in, in a way whereby it seems desirable to you. Yeah, you look at the, all the beautiful food here and you think, oh, I, now it would be nice to have lunch. Actually, I shouldn't say this now because you're gonna, <laughs> it's going to kind of lead us off track. But uh, uh, so you, uh, uh, it's only when you think about these things that they become a problem. But by watching the breath, you're actually uh, not feeding those uh, defilements because you're not feeding them. They die down and because of that, everything becomes more peaceful as a consequence. And this is why watching the breath or watching a meditation object uh, eventually leads to very profound peace because you are diverting the mind from its usual preoccupations that lead to hindrances arising. So that is the first tetrad. The um, Anapanasati Sutta is a, a structure into four tetrads, four groups of four. And that is the first one. And the first of these tetrads is equivalent to the body contemplation in the Satipatthana Sutta. Yeah, so by just by watching the breath in this way, you are already doing the body contemplation. You don't have to do anything else. Don't have to do the 31 or the 32, if you like, parts of the body. You don't have to do the four elements or any of that. If you, uh, uh, if the breath meditation works for you, that is really all you have to do to fulfill uh, the Satipatthana practice. Which is quite handy. It's made very simple. It's very easy. It is very well explained in the suttas. So you have a very good, detailed explanation for what to do. Otherwise, it can be quite hard to find out what you actually require. Now, the next tetrad, which comes up next, is equivalent to the Vedana Nupassana, the contemplation of feelings in the Satipatthana Sutta. Yeah, and. If you think back to the Satipatthana Sutta, I don't know if you, maybe some of you can't think back because you may never have read it before, but if you know the Satipatthana Sutta, you will know that it is only, uh, the breath meditation is only mentioned under body contemplation. The breath meditation is not mentioned under the contemplation of feelings. It is not mentioned under contemplation of the mind. Yeah? Satipatthana Sutta has four aspects, contemplation of body, feelings, mind, and then phenomena or principles, the last one. And breath meditation is only mentioned in the f first of those four, not in the other ones. Whereas here in the Anapanasati Sutta, uh, breath meditation goes all the way through and it fulfills all the four Satipatthanas. And this is quite interesting and it's quite uh, strange. Why is it that um, Anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, is mentioned in uh, the first Satipatthana, in the Satipatthana Sutta, but not the other ones? Uh, and uh, the reason probably is that it doesn't really belong there. It shouldn't be there at all. Yeah, Satipatthana, mindfulness of breathing is a complete... Um, method for practicing satipatthana it does not belong just to mindfulness of the body it belongs to the whole thing here and uh, this is again one of those uh, consequences of development of the suttas probably over time uh, that they has been they have been kind of added to a little bit in this way uh, and then you lose some of the uh, kind of understanding of the process because it looks like mindfulness of breathing only belongs to the body contemplation when in fact it belongs to all four uh, 
if what I just said doesn't make any sense to you and I, I, it's hard to follow, don't worry too much about it. Uh, I'm just uh, saying that for those of you who have a bit more experience with the suttas, so you get some idea of uh, what is going on here, because it looks almost like a contradiction, but in fact, I don't really think there is a, a contradiction here. So, doing the mindfulness of breathing in this way, you fulfill the body contemplation because the breath is one body among bodies, as it says further down here. And then we come to the second tetrad, and this is related to uh, Vedana Nupassana, contemplation of feeling. And uh, it goes as follows. You train Thus, I shall breathe in experiencing rapture or joy. This is pity. You train thus, I shall breathe out experiencing pity or rapture. You train thus, I shall breathe in experiencing pleasure or happiness. You train thus, I shall breathe out experiencing pleasure. So let's stop there. Uh, here you have uh, two uh, qualities. It's now you can see that we are moving into the realm of feelings. Yeah, joy and happiness. Piti and sukha are the two Pali words that are used here. So now we are moving into experiencing the joy on the uh, uh, as part of the meditation experience. And this is what I said before. The importance of joy is so. This is so significant in meditation practice. And the path always goes via joy. If you want to tranquilize fully, you have to do it via joy. Because only then does the mind really become powerful and awake because you're enjoying yourself. And it enables the mind to focus. Because when you are enjoying yourself, focus is natural. Because what you're doing is enjoyable by its very nature. So... Um, the first one here, the rapture, the joy, is off, can often be like a very physical feeling that you can feel through the uh, in the body. It can be like waves of happiness, kind of of joy, kind of coursing through the body. Sometimes it can be felt only as a mental feeling. People experience this in different ways. But if you feel some kind of, if you feel some sort of joy arising, and especially if it has like a physical component to it, a mental component as well, of course, then this is really the area of rapture. This is what is meant by this kind of joy. Once you move further on on the path, that physical component starts to die down because the body becomes more remote and it becomes a more peaceful kind of happiness and joy. But at this point, it is more has a more physical aspect to it. So... Um, how do we move from the body contemplation to the feeling contemplation? What is actually happening here? And uh, to do that, sometimes this is where sometimes people get stuck. They kind of watch the breath. It is all very nice and peaceful, but there is no joy. There is no happiness there. And this is sometimes where you may you may have to nudge the mind a little bit to give rise to that joy. You have to use some of the techniques I talked about before, just you know, enjoying the experiencing here, uh, feeling kind of uh, happy that you're able to be here. Yeah, you're able to do all of these wonderful things and develop your spiritual practice, uh, feel a sense of joy that you have the Buddhist teachings to guide you in the world. What a wonderful thing it is to have this spiritual genius of the Buddha as your teacher. Wow. You know, this, this is extraordinary. Yeah. Or you think about something positive in your, in your life that you have done, something, uh, something beautiful that gives rise to happiness because it gave rise to happiness before. Anything at all that kind of gives rise to the spiritual joy. Yeah. 
It's important here you don't think in the wrong way. This is not about worldly happinesses. It's about spiritual happinesses. And all of those things I mentioned are types of spiritual happiness. So you nudge the mind a little bit. You don't want to use... You don't want to think a lot, because if you do that, you will disturb the whole meditation process. It's more like just shifting your attention towards something positive, giving rise to a particular perception. And then, because you're already peaceful, the joy can come very automatically. But for many people, you don't even have to do that. For many people, all you have to do is just stay with the breath, and joy happens automatically. Yeah, already you are fairly purified through your practice and when things calm down and become peaceful joy is just the natural expression of that whole uh, all, all those factors on the path coming together at that particular time and you start feeling joy here and that is the ideal way because then you don't disturb the meditation it just happens automatically things become peaceful and then joy starts to arise happiness comes as part of the part of the path you are still watching the breath, yeah? So in a sense, what you are doing here is like your awareness has, a, there's a number of things happening. You're watching the breath, but there's also joy in the experience at the same time. The breath is still the anchor, if you like, that you use to have something to focus on. Uh, yeah, instead of just focusing on the happiness, the breath is there at the very least uh, as part of the experience. Uh, so you keep on using the breath, uh, and the breath becomes, at this point, the breath starts to look very beautiful, because it is uh, endowed with this joy uh, as you do this. Uh. And then, uh, as you develop that joy in your experience, the, uh, the more coarser aspects of the joy start to die down. Uh, yeah? So again, no willpower is required. Uh, you just are as passive as you possibly can. Uh, don't do anything. Uh, and at this point, it starts to become much more easy to be passive because it's much more enjoyable. And then you just allow the experience to develop. Uh, the coarse joy disappears uh, and a more refined kind of happiness starts to arise. Uh, yeah, this is what you are seeing, a movement from piti to sukha in your meditation. So this is like a map of what is going on. Because we're not supposed to do very much, it is more like just a map for you to know whether you are on the right track or not. And all you have to do is keep on observing. And then, once you have the experience of pleasure, it says the next thing here is you train in experiencing the mental formation. You train thus, I shall breathe out, experiencing the mental formation. And again, one of these very obscure things, what on earth is mental formation? And again, better to translate it as mental activity. So you breathe in, experiencing the mental activity. You breathe in, out, experiencing the mental activity. What is that mental activity? And that mental activity uh, usually just refers to the things that you are experiencing. In other words, the joy, the happiness, the perception that you have at that particular time. Uh, chitta sankara, uh, which is mental activity here, is defined in the suttas as feeling and perception. Yeah? So there is a feeling there, there is a perception there going with this. Uh, so it is just really just reiterating what you are already what what is already happening in your mind? Uh, Adan Sujato has translated this as uh, experiencing emotion. Yeah, because that's really what this is about. It's an emotional experience. Uh, meditation is very much a, an emotional path. Uh, emotions are a very important part of this, but happy emotions, uh, not sad ones. Uh, and so here it is like experiencing these emotions fully. Uh, 
And when you experience them, the next step then is to tranquilize those formations. So you breathe in, tranquilizing the uh, mental formation. You breathe out, tranquilizing the mental formation. So the whole path here you can see is about tranquilizing, 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 or rather allowing tranquility to arise more and more. You don't need to do it, it just happens by itself. So now the happiness and the peace are tranquilized. There is less and less movement going on in the mind. You're more and more focused on the meditation object. Yeah, Less and less happening. The breath is becoming incredibly subtle at this particular stage. Everything is becoming very tranquil. There's two things happening in the meditation. You're becoming more tranquil and also becoming more happy. And both of these things lead to a sense of pleasure, a sense of being really satisfied and content with what is going on because it is a very pleasurable experience when these things happen. Yeah, You really start to enjoy, you start to understand what the spiritual life really is about because it is so different from what you experience in your ordinary life. We don't normally experience this kind of tranquility and peace. We don't normally experience this kind of profound joy. Yeah, profound joy. Wow. Who knew that life could be so joyful yeah, as you go through these things? So this is the idea here. You just stay with the breath, stay with the experience. And as you stay with it as passively as possible, all of this just unfolds in this particular way very nicely. Nothing you have to do is the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, It is just so nice and it happens in this way here. It may not happen to you. You may think, oh, this sounds very nice. How come I'm not, it's not happening to me? And uh, the reason it's not happening to you, again, is just that uh, you have to put in place all those causes and conditions. And eventually, if you keep on doing that, these things will happen because these are natural expressions of the human mind. You, you know, they have to happen if the causes and conditions are there because we are all the same. We all have the same mind, all have the same body. Sometimes we don't want to be the same. We want to be special. I got bad news for you. You're not special. <laughs> <coughs> It's good, yeah? It's good that we're not special, because when we're not special, it means that we can kind of rejoice in each other's humanity. We're all the same, basically. Actually, it's a very good thing to think about things like that. And it also means that we all have the same potential for practicing this path, which also is, is great. So that is the second tetrad. It is equivalent to the Vedana Nupassana in the Satipatthana Sutta. And by doing that, you are fulfilling the Vedana Vipassana. This is how you do it. And one of the nice things about that that you will notice when you read the Satipatthana Sutta, it talks about having the Vedana Vipassana also for painful feelings. It talks about understanding painful feelings and all that. Here, there is nothing about painful feelings. To do the contemplation of feelings, you can bypass the painful feelings altogether. And all you have to do is to contemplate or to experience the happy feelings. It's good news, isn't it? So because of that, sitting down and experiencing heaps of pain in your body is not really worthwhile. It is not recommended. It is not required. It doesn't actually lead to any particular insight. This here is the way that leads to insight. And all you have to do is experiencing happiness. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's great. We can bypass all that kind of uh, spiritual uh, uh, depression and spiritual hard work that sometimes comes from uh, from doing things in a more painful, with more painful striving. Yeah. And uh, the point is that if you 
practice the happy, happy way, this happy kind of path, it means that you also come to understand the painful feelings anyway. Because when the painful feelings disappear and later on you contemplate that, you understand them through the disappearance rather than through the presence. And understanding things through its disappearance is far more powerful than to understand it through its presence. Because when it's completely gone and disappeared, that is when you have full perspective on something. That is why when you kind of go deep into samadhi, your body disappears, your senses disappear. Only then do you have a good understanding of your body and your senses. Because when they're gone, that is when you have the bird's eye view and you can understand what is happening. The same thing with painful feelings. You don't actually have to contemplate them directly. You can get that bird's eye view afterwards because they have disappeared and ceased. But even here, it is not as if the meditation will be 100% always without painful feelings. Still, sometimes you may experience the body a little bit, yeah, in the kind of background. Occasionally, especially on the early stages here, it may still be present to some extent. And especially if some pain arises, it can happen. And so it's not... 100% pleasant necessarily, but you are kind of heading in that direction. And so the main point here is to experience the happy feelings. So, um, just to maybe to uh, again, I uh, some people were you know one of the problems is that when you sit down and you uh, move around too much, it becomes problematic because when you move around too much, you don't find the tranquility in the body. So be careful at the beginning of the meditation to find the posture that you have a rough idea that you will be able to keep for the full session. Yeah. So know whether you are going to sit for and if you're going to sit for an hour, which are most of the lengths of the meditations here, find a posture. You can keep for roughly an hour. So be realistic about it and you don't have to move around so much during the actual meditation practice. And that's also that's a useful thing here. So let us move on to the next uh, tetrad. So the next tetrad is equivalent to the uh, citta nupassana in the Satipatthana Sutta. Citta nupassana means contemplation of the mind or contemplation of mind qualities. So remember now it's getting even more refined as if it uh, weren't refined enough already. Now it's going even more refined. And so this is what happens next. He trains thus, Asha breathe in experiencing the mind. He trains thus, Asha, breathe out, experiencing the mind. Let's just stop there, because uh, this is already not necessarily very obvious what that means. What does it mean to experience the mind? And um, uh, the point here is that uh, to experience the mind, you have to remove all the things that are not mind. And when you remove the things that are not mind, what remains is the mind, yeah? So uh, uh, here, uh, because the experience in the body is really fading into the background, the breath is starting to become incredibly refined. It's almost uh, imperceptible at this point. It's, it's kind of way in the background already. Uh, 
the senses are becoming very, very subtle. Uh, you, you know, you, you have closed your eyes long ago. You don't see anything. Uh, uh, hearing is kind of fading away dramatically. People, everything around you seems to be far away. It doesn't really disturb you anymore. What other people do, all of this is kind of fading away. Uh, so because everything is fading away from your ordinary experience, uh, senses, the body, uh, what is left is the mind. Uh, and that mind very often manifests as a bright light. Yeah, This is what we talk when we talk about the samadhi nimitta, uh, the way it is used in contemporary Buddhism. It means this light that arises in the meditation. It can be bright, it can be a bit dull, it all depends on uh, the power of the mind at that particular point. And uh, this is a uh, that sign, the mind, uh, seeing the mind in a sense, it is often experienced in this way through a light. Uh, and it has nothing to do with the ordinary physical world. Uh, and for that reason, it is a mental thing, your experience in the mind at this particular point. Uh, so this is how I interpret this. And it's again following in large part how Ajahn Brahm looks at this. It makes for a nice, smooth uh, progress in mindfulness of breathing. It is not always interpreted in this way, but that, I think, is the natural way of looking at this. So the, here is where the nimittas, the bright lights, the obasa, as it is called in the suttas, start, uh, start to arise. So as the, what is happening here is that as the pleasure and the happiness in the mind becomes more and more peaceful, more and more tranquil, then it is an automatic process. Suddenly you start to see this light in the mind. It is suddenly there, as if someone is shining a flashlight into your eyes or something like that, as someone said. And this is what is happening at this particular point. And initially that light or that thing you see may not be very stable it may not be very bright so initially you still kind of stay with the breath a little bit you don't kind of uh, you don't go to this light too quickly you allow it to stabilize you allow it to become reasonably powerful and eventually when it is fairly stable and powerful then you can kind of allow your attention to be only on that light and not on the breath before that, the attention, you kind of seeing all of these things a little bit together, but more and more the, the, the attention goes to the light, yeah, and it goes to being with just the mind. And as you do that, of course, th uh, the world of the senses and body and all that is fading even more into the background. Uh, it is still sometimes it kind of protrudes a little bit into your meditation, but it is becoming very, very subtle at this point. So this is the mind, experiencing the mind. And then once you have that stability on that, uh, uh, that light, that obasa, that nimitta, whatever you want to call it, uh, then you continue this particular uh, citta nupasana. Yeah? You train thus, uh, you breathe in gladdening the mind. You train thus, you breathe out gladdening the mind. You train thus, I shall breathe in stilling the mind. You breathe in thus, I shall breathe out, stilling the mind. So how do you gladden the mind? Well, the way you gladden the mind is just by staying with that light in the mind. And by staying with it, the less you do just by observing it, just by being aware of it, looking at the most beautiful part of it, whatever it is, by staying with that, it gladdens up all by itself. There's nothing, again, that you have to do the less you do, in fact, the more happy, the more glad that light in the mind is. Yeah, Now you are really starting to really bliss out. This is like 
entering a different realm almost at this particular point. It's like uh, these are experiences that for most people are just really out of this world. Uh, and you are kind of out of this world because the senses are fading away. Uh, and now you're entering some kind of magical realm, uh, which is just so powerful and so blissful and so happy. Uh, it is just astonishing that these things even exist in the world. Uh, and they are there for the taking. Yeah, If we w want these things, they can be done uh, by every one of us. Uh, as long as you put in the practice, you persevere, and you commit to these teachings in the right way. Sometimes it takes a while. It may take years sometimes of diligent practice, but it's really worthwhile because when you get here, you realize that you are starting to approach the actual meaning of life itself. This is what is happening at this stage because you feel so content, you feel so utterly satisfied that you have never felt in your entire life before. You realize this is what you've been looking for all along here. In other words, why have I been wasting my time in the world, looking for this in the world, when it's so blooming obvious uh, the world is never going to give this to me? Uh, the world cannot give this uh, because the world is full of craving, it is full of disappointments, uh, it is uh, uh, trying to gain an inner happiness through external means, and that by definition is impossible. Uh, you have to develop your mind to gain that inner satisfaction. And this is what is happening here. And this is the real citta bhavana, the development of the mind that is happening here. Yeah. So you gladden the mind, uh, then you still the mind, yeah, to still the mind by allowing this uh, uh, nimitta, this light, to become more and more still, more and more peaceful, uh, uh, calming down, uh, becoming more and more powerful as you do this, more and more bright. Uh, it's like seeing the sun, you know, it's, it's a very, very bright thing. Uh, and uh, Eventually, as this thing just becomes peaceful, again happening all by itself, then you get to the very last stage. And the very last stage of the first 12 stages is as follows. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, liberating the mind. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, liberating the mind. And what does it mean? To liberate the mind, this is the very last thing that you do. And liberating the mind means that you now you fall into a deep state of samadhi. Yeah, this is what liberating the mind is. What are you liberating the mind from? You're liberating the mind from the body, from the five senses, from the five hindrances, from all the defilements and all the external uh, kind of disruptions that may occur in meditation practice, all the distractions in life. All of that is gone. And this is where you fall into a state of samadhi. This is where you experience the jhanas, things like that, for the first time. And everything becomes kind of really different and really magical at this particular point. It's a completely different world that you enter. What does it mean that you liberate the mind? It means that you allow the mind to kind of liberate itself. You can't do this. In fact, if you try to do it, you're going to disrupt. It's not going to work. So you have to allow it to happen. Yeah? So you allow this to happen. And then you have achieved like what we call uh, liberation of mind. Chetovimuti, this is called in the suttas. And this is like the temporary uh, liberation of mind that happens in samadhi. So this is what the Anapanasati is about. It's about taking us to the jhana states. And this is the very last factor here, is that entry into the jhana states. And then you have done all the kind of peace building that 
can be done through the meditation practice. And of course, the depth of that jhana experience, it can vary. It can be the first jhana, the second jhana, the third or the fourth. And how deep you go will depend on the power of that process beforehand. If that process is very strong because you have developed it a lot, you can end up going into a higher jhana than the first one. Yeah, you kind of rapidly go through the jhanas and you enter a high jhana. So the degree of liberation there will depend on uh, the power and the momentum of that process that happens beforehand. Uh, and then you enter a very powerful state of meditation. Uh, now, uh, you have to be careful at this point because you have to really kind of, you have to get used to all of these things. Uh, and as you get used to them, uh, uh, this process happens. Uh, uh, one of the things that happens during this process is that your ordinary world fades away. So you have to get used to the idea of the world fading away. It may sound scary, and if you, someone put you into that state, it may even seem scary because all your normal bearings are lost. You don't know what's going on. So you need to do it gradually. And when you do it gradually, you find it is one of the most pleasant experiences that you can possibly have. So you allow it to happen. Because it's unfamiliar, just like with anything that is unfamiliar in the world, uh, there's a little bit of maybe kind of, uh, you know, apprehension as you do this. Uh, so you learn by gradually uh, uh, getting used to these ideas. And eventually then you are able to liberate the mind in this way. Uh, and of course, once you get there, you are extraordinarily happy that you did this. Uh, You're extraordinarily happy because uh, this is... Uh, uh, one of the most worthwhile experiences you can have as a human being when you get even this much, just that initial liberation of the mind, because you understand that human experience encompasses things that are profoundly meaningful and profoundly happy and profoundly different from what you thought was actually possible. And that opens up the, uh, the world in a new way. And uh, sometimes these things are called positive traumas. Uh, they are traumatic in the sense that you can never really forget them again afterwards. Uh, once you've had an experience of deep samadhi, it stays with you for life, uh, yeah, because it is so positive, so incredibly blissful and happy. Uh, and it then drives you on, on this path as a consequence. Uh, so that is the first 12 steps of the Anapanasati Sutta. It is an amazing thing that the humble breath can lead you to so much happiness and so much joy and so much contentment if you practice it in the right way. And then the last four steps of the Anapanasati Sutta, they are about insight. They are about how to use that experience we had so far to gain some understanding of the process. But I'm going to have to leave that for now, and we will come back to that uh, this afternoon at 3 o'clock, and then we can have a look at the remainder of this uh, uh, remarkable practice of Anapanasati. In the meantime, please keep on enjoying yourself, have a nice lunch, and we'll see you back again at 3 o'clock.